Hey guys, welcome to the Ringer Podcast Network. Bill Simmons' Book of Basketball 2.0 podcast is officially out. This new podcast extends and reinvents his New York Times number one best-selling book from 2009 and breaks down the NBA's most important games, players, and teams. Starting with Steve Kerr in the premiere episode, Bill's using new commentary and fresh interviews to determine how the league has evolved and where it's headed. The first four episodes are out now wherever you get your podcasts and will continue on a weekly basis. Check out The Book of Basketball on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Ringer FC. This is Johnny Kwok, East Coast Bureau Chief of The Ringer. I'm joined, as always, or as recently always, by Connor Nevin. Happy to be with you, Donny Kwok. Thank you. And Michael Peters. I don't squash beef, just like Raheem Sterling. <laughs> just like Raheem Sterling. We'll get to that. There's only one place to start that Sunday at Anfield. Liverpool 3, Manchester City 1, Liverpool 8 points clear at the top of the table after 12 matches played. Nine points over City. Connor, was this the match of the season? I think it was. I, I think it had to be, just considering the stakes of it and just the quality of the play. Um, I, I, I kind of had that feeling, and, and we talked about this a little bit, where uh, after the Liverpool-Manchester United game, you had a sense, not that Liverpool was there for the taking, but that they were. it was possible that they could be contained and stymied, um, and maybe um, you could take some points off of them, and you thought that Man City could be the, obviously be the team to do that. Um, and, you know, and also just given the history, the basic arithmetic of the last season, you know, it was in the, they're almost in reverse positions right now where last season it was just when you watch Man City play, you, you really you realize that Liverpool was the only team that was ever going to be able to take points off of them. And then Liverpool kind of blew their shot when they had it. And it was just kind of a, an endless, you know, just kind of an inevitable run to the end. And now you're looking at it and you're like, if Man City's not going to take points off Liverpool, then, then really who is? Uh, and you're looking at the gap right now, and it's just so. I, I think it's it's a long way of saying just given the actual quality of the game and everything that you saw in the game, from the talking points to the goals to just the actual you know the, the quality of play to just the stakes and where the table sits right now, it's 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 got to be the match of the season, as they say, a great advertisement for the Premier League. Well, let's talk about some of those talking points. Obviously, the main one coming out of the match. So Liverpool, Fabinho scored in the sixth minute and Salah scored in the 13th minute. So it was 2-0 before 15 minutes had passed. But that Fabinho goal, of course, followed what many are calling what should have been called a handball on Trent Alexander-Arnold in the box. Uh, Micah, how did you see that one? So this is just another example of uh, v- like inconsistency as far as VAR being implemented because, I mean, there have been other games in which uh, the review has gone for longer than 10 seconds. Like, a play comes all the way back. And it was, if you look at the, I guess, the overhead angle, I think it was, that shows it clearest, it was a handball. Absolutely. Wasn't there a rule change where it's just like any contact uh, hand-to-ball inside the box is a penalty, no questions asked? Or did they not change that I mean, that's not a the... formal rule change. I think the word deliberate, though, is still in the laws of the yeah. game. In any case, uh, I get, it should have came back, but I did not care because I want to, like the Fabinho strike was just the purest thing that I think I've seen recently. I, like It was just, 
I just had to stand up and like run around my house for a little while. <laughs> what, right when that left his foot, you knew exactly. You where knew that was like going. It, was, it was. It was such a like. I put my laces through this good fucking luck with this keeper that, strike. That whole sequence was just a really a microcosm of how much VAR has kind of broken our brains when it comes to watching this. The sequence of play. You have this you know, going into the box, and and you have Aguero, who the ball, you know, just kind of didn't even make a play on the ball. Immediately, just started, re- didn't, uh, you know, rem- remonstrating for the handball. And then, as the as the uh, as the field is changing, as we're changing fields, and as Liverpool is going on the counterattack, you're thinking, when's it coming? I mean, when when are they going to it? When is it coming? And you're waiting, you're waiting for the for the VAR announcement more than you're actually watching the play on the field. And then all of a sudden the goal comes and you immediately turn to the referee and it's just, it completely just confuses the the sequence of events in a way that it, it just makes it, it, it's confusing and it's anarchic and it's completely impossible to understand. To be fair, I feel like Aguero might have reacted the same way without VAR because oh, players yeah. oh, just of tend course. to do that. Yeah, yeah. The second goal too, the Salah goal, uh, in the 13th minute, there's shades of offsides there as well. But, I mean, really the the issue here is that Manchester City was punched in the mouth with the first goal and then spent the next five or five to ten minutes kind of in a daze around, like, this is unfair. Like, you know when you're watching a game like this, when a team kind of folds within themselves after, like, an egregious missed call. And, you know, if you're thinking about that and you're not paying attention and you're playing against a team like Liverpool that capitalizes on every opportunity um, in with, like, you know, ruthless execution, things like that can happen. And then all of a sudden they're down 2-0 inside 15 minutes and the game is basically over already. I think yeah. I think at some point we're going to need a new adage where you're most vulnerable after scoring a goal or conceding in the, in the minutes after that. And someone needs to do some statistical analysis of teams' after having a VAR decision go against them or having a VAR decision go for them. Just well, the swings in play. Where are you at, Ryan O'Hanley? It's, yeah, uh, well, no, I mean, I like, mean, it's, like, kind of... Put up the bat signal. Well, I mean, you played. You know that, You know that like, it's just a different version of the same thing that your coach would always tell you is first five minutes, next five minutes, next five minutes. Mm-hmm. It's just, like, even after you score, be on for the next five minutes because that's when you're most acceptable. One wonders last May, the Champions League final, had Sissoko not been called for that handball off of Mane. What, how the game might have turned out. Anyway, so the second half started. Mane scored in the 51st off a cross, beautiful cross from Jordan Henderson. So it was 3-0 at that point. And then, of course, City had their spurt, came back, uh, Bernardo Silva in the 78th minute. Overall, though, Connor, I mean, you mentioned it at the top, but are Liverpool just better? Or is this something to, to City missing Laporte, not having Ederson? I think Claudio Bravo probably could have done better on the second and third goals. I mean, the Fabinho was just a wonder goal; couldn't stop that. But yeah, I, I think I think Ederson is a, probably a good place to start because you can start with the center back losses that they have. But at the end of the day, Ederson is kind of their best ball playing defender. Yeah, um, and they miss you know the shot stopping. The, the difference, you know, between shot stopping between Bravo and Ederson is probably pretty, you know, a little more negligible. I mean, you can say what you want about that, about some of the goals, but they miss his distribution. Um, and I think then you kind of compound that by not only are you putting Fernandinho and you can kind of see his just flailing outstretched leg to try to get on the end of that Robertson cross for the solid goal. He's limited in what he can do as a center back, but then you lose him in the center of the, in the, in the center of midfield too. You know, you kind of wonder that there's a, there's a domino effect where now all of a sudden you have Gundogan playing deeper and you have, you know, so you're, you do have to kind of take that into account. Frankly, I think 
the thing that I, I would I have not kind of seen a great explanation for when it comes to city center back issues is what happened to John Stones. Um, yeah, because the idea that Pep is so loath to play him and Otamendi together, and really just seems to have no confidence in him. Seriously, when you saw that in the team sheet, did you not think, yeah, Liverpool's got this one? I was because yeah. I was thinking, okay, this is going to end up four one. And even when you you look at the you know Angelino had a you know he's the, he's their second choice center back. I mean he came from there to Vizier last year. He's he is a he is a backup. You know, I thought he played well though. I thought he did play well. That, that's what I was going to say too. He had a few moments, but he did his distribution was okay. He gave a few balls away early, but he did play well. Um, I, 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 you know, I think again, but that's the difference between, you know, Mendy on, on a, when he's fit and and him there. And Walker didn't have a great game, but it's it's just, you know, they were they were undermanned and they were stretched. And but again, at the end of the day, too, they still had their chances. There were there were long stretches in that game where City really took it to him. And there was a moment where you know after Bernardo Silva scored that goal. You, you thought that there might actually be something in it for him. Yeah, I thought so too. Maybe the answer for Stones and Walker or all the England defenders post-World Cup 2018 is to do the Kieran Tripper route and just go to Spain <laughs> or go to Atletico. <laughs> I mean, sure. That's that's one option, you know. You uh, could do that. Let's go to the post-game real quick. Uh, we'll get to Pep because uh, he had a funny reaction during and after the game. But let me get to this Rodri quote. He said after the game, quote, I think we were much better overall. We created more chances than them. Can we fact check that? But they arrived to our goal three times and scored three goals. Um, where's where's okay. the lie? Uh, they did create a lot of chances. I don't know. Like, I, I don't know about much better overall, though, because no, I, I, mean, I mean, like, you get the sense from watching this game that, like, that city was being just crushed in, like, the. I don't know, like, you know, the trash compactor thing from Star Wars. Like, it's just like, I felt like they would maybe escape, possibly, after mm-hmm. the Bernardo Silver goal, but it felt to me that, like, Liverpool was just the better team. Like, they felt more inevitable. I, I think, Rodri, too, is, is someone, you talk about the injury issues, they they brought him back probably a couple weeks too early from mm-hmm. the injury that he's faced, and, you know, he couldn't cover a whole lot of ground. And I think there's probably a world in which if he was 100% fit, you'd see Rodri and Fernandinho as a center-back pairing. Yeah. You know, they 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 were they they did create chances. I mean, look, De Bruyne. Uh, you know, he had a, a couple of set pieces, especially one delivery in there that was one of the best that I've ever actually seen him. Um, and that's that's saying a lot. Um, Aguero kind of didn't couldn't get on the end of a header. Like there there were goals in there. Um, and then I think Micah said, you know, they got punched in the mouth, and I think got a little too caught up in the frenzy of the the missed VAR or the the missed opportunity on VAR. But it, they did not have the legs in the center of the field, and I think you could see that aside from the goal, Fabinho was just bossing around that midfield and yeah. just kind of covering so much ground and it really just disrupting everything he did uh, a good job of being both like creator and destroyer in yes. that game and I think that like you said that De Bruyne had that there was that one you know vintage curled early cross just onto like a, yeah it was it was gorgeous but the thing is that string. like that was one pass yeah. that yeah. happened in the game and it felt like he was, he was never able to actually get into a rhythm um which you know we have to get to pep so pep was very memeable this game well during the game because of course we mentioned the first Trent Alexander Arnold handball there was a second kind of shout for a handball on him which was would have been much more harsh 
Uh, but cameras caught him on the sideline with gesturing wildly with the two. The Getting two, two the, fingers in Mike D's face like, <laughs> twice, twice! And he did it. He gesticulated like that for like five or six times in a row. And each time was more animated. So it was kind of funny. And then after the match, immediately after the match, he shook Mike Dean's hand and very sarcastically could be seen saying, thank you very much. And then after the match, he was a little bit more subdued, but still very passive, aggressive, and salty. Uh, I'm seeing now even Barney Roney and the Guardians writing, is this the beginning of the end of Pep? Of course, that's kind of a media overreaction. But what did you make of Pep's demeanor during, throughout, and after the game? The thing that was funniest about Pep's reaction to this is that, <laughs> one, there was the, he had the, he held up the two, and the third time he just like was shouting at the sky, which is really funny. <laughs> But also just the fact that he's built a reputation for himself or has the opinion of himself that he's just this, you know, manager that doesn't concern himself with refereeing decisions and like, you know, will say that in, you know, every media availability. But then things like this still happen because he's still a manager that has to deal with these sorts of things. And you're when you're confronted with something this frustrating you, you know, put two fingers in Mike Dean's face and, and you're just like, you are a shitty fourth official. I, I think, the first of all, the, the all-time pet meme will always forever be the when Messi nutmegged Milner in the Champions League and he was watching from the stands and his oh, yeah. reaction was always. But I, I think he, I, I think there's always a degree of theatricality in his responses. Um, he enjoys it. He enjoys kind of putting the pressure on the officials and just kind of putting the attention on him in those instances. I also think he's aware of the moment and the significance of the circumstances of the game. Um, you know, it's 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 only November, but he knows that they're in a position right now where they have lost an opportunity to take points off Liverpool and they're staring at the table. And I think he's also, in a larger context, he needs to manage a team like that. I think he needs to motivate his team with the table, if that makes sense. He needs to be able to point to the table and be like, we're only up one point or we have these goals. And if all of a sudden they're kind of in that weird mix of pretty okay for a Champions League place, but still pretty far away from Liverpool. I think that's where he probably doesn't have that same ruthless cutting edge where he can kind of keep guys focused week in and week out. And I think that's probably what he's afraid of a little bit too. Yeah. There's also another adage, which is show me a good loser and I'll show you a loser. Because I don't think any any manager, no matter what level, uh, or, you know, like what their pedigree is, they always lose really poorly. Yeah, and I think one thing he did say too, and it's it's become such a cliche and who knows how sincere he was, but he did say, you know, the whole kind of, this is a great advertisement for the Premier League. And I mean, it was it was a great game. It was Absolutely. That's another managers. manager tactic in the post-game. Pochettino always does that after they lose 3-0. That was the best performance of our season. But like two, I've never well, been more yeah, proud I mean, of the like, boys. Exactly. It's just like, <laughs> it, 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 he hit all of the notes. He said he was proud of the boys. He said that yeah. they played really well. And I don't I'm want not to talk talking about the referee, about the referee <laughs> decisions. <laughs> exactly. Get he hit your, all the notes. Get your bingo cards out. Um, yeah, but I mean, like to your point, they they are in a weird space, but they're not really that far off of where they were at this position last season. And then it's really down to whether or not Liverpool can sustain this run of form. Mm-hmm. Um, and because, I mean, like if you're thinking about this time last season, like Liverpool hit a snag where they had draws against Leicester and West Ham, I think. And, you know, and then... Manchester City peeled off an 18-game unbeaten run to finish the season, you know? We'll get into the Liverpool and their possible Invincibles run. Uh, But let's talk about some afters, too, which stretched over into St. George's Park where England were training. Because during the match, I've talked about this before, I think, last year maybe, or earlier this season, how the Liverpool-Manchester City 
rivalry, as it were, hasn't really had any nastiness. And for that reason, it doesn't rank to me as like a very heated, I don't know, like a derby or anything. Uh, but in this match, Raheem Sterling got into it a little bit with uh, Liverpool center back Joe Gomez, as well as Trent Alexander-Arnold. Apparently, the Sterling-Gomez dispute spilled over into England training where they're now, you know, we're in an international break. And, and Sterling and Gomez had what they call a bust-up. Gomez appeared the next day in training with a scratch under his right eye. And Gareth Southgate, England manager, has suspended Sterling for the next game against Kosovo, is it, or Montenegro? Montenegro. Against Montenegro. So what do you guys make of that? Um, can we just go back and and like and set the scene of of, of what happened in the Liverpool Please. Manchester City game? Please yeah. Do. Well, first of all, I was going to say that when when Sterling stepped to Gomez, it was very brief, little coming together. I thought I thought Gomez was on the cusp of doing that Matt Miazga, <laughs> Diego Lanes thing. It would have been so, like it would have been. He looked like he was going to do it because he's no, like no, no, a no, full no. head it taller. It was so much. It was so much worse. It was so much worse, and I'll tell you why. Okay, tell me why. Because okay, they are jostling. They're jostling for the ball as they're going towards the sideline. Maybe one gives the other an extra push. I can't even remember which one. But it, they, once they get into the shoving match, and like Sterling squares up to Joe Gomez, <laughs> Joe Gomez is just like, bro, really? <laughs> like I'm like he's just like I am twice your size. He's squaring up to him, staring then, at his nipples, and then picked him like he picked Ryan Sterling up underneath his armpits like a kid, and I was. <laughs> screaming laughter like because he put him back down and then he shrugged at him and walked off <laughs> do you think sterling later that night watched it on match of the day and was like i'm not gonna stand for this shit and then i mean like him you <laughs> have no I, like i absolutely understand like if sterling got to england training and saw joe gomez across the, i was just like i would go directly i would i would do the same thing i'd go directly at him because it's just like it's about my pride now <laughs> he saw, he saw like, joe gomez to, and trent like chatting shit in the corner. He was just like, I'm just, not going like that. <laughs> he, he got he got into it with Trent Alexander-Arnold too a little bit in the game because you know, Alexander-Arnold kind of gave him a little shove and, you know, he clearly let him know that he took exception to that. It's, uh, I, it, it's, a, for, it, it's probably a good opportunity for uh, Southgate to just kind of say, you just came off a really heated one. Go ahead and take a breather. Like, you know, we don't just... Yeah, I just, you know, let's not make this a whole thing as i mean like a little bit of negativity is good <laughs> I, I would you, you do want to kind of track moments like this though because I, I i think especially if you get if you get a two-legged champions league tie in the group stages between these two and all of a sudden they're playing each other oh yeah i mean like it'll be a situation games. where you oh, please make that happen you kind of like you know you only have a limited amount of time to manage a national team like to manage a national mm -hmm. side or an international side, whatever. I mean, like, they only have so much time together, and if it's disrupted by, say, man, I didn't appreciate you clipping me when I was going to whatever in the game last weekend, I understand that, but, you know. I think, yeah, and it reminded me a little bit, and I don't think it'll, it'll ever quite reach that magnitude, but you saw that a little bit in the German national team when Bayern Munich and Borussia Dortmund would have these two kind of competing cliques that would meet in the dress, you know, and meet in the national sure, team. And, sure. you know, Barca and Madrid and the Spanish team. I don't think it'll ever quite get to that point, but, you know, you do kind of, you can't, you, you, these guys aren't robots, you know, yeah. they played on Sunday and all of a sudden they're back together, you know, 24 hours later. And, yeah, just and it's a, just like, I still, still yeah, yeah, yeah. I still feel the same. Yeah, I still feel the same. Yeah, I think Sterling is set to return for the second game in this break, which is against Kosovo, I believe. And as he's wont to do, he made a statement kind of clearing the air on Instagram, sort of a conciliatory tone. And uh, I think I read that he spoke to the team as well. 
Uh, Micah, your man Rios <laughs> against the suspension, which was kind of funny. I don't know if you read what he wrote on Facebook. I didn't see that. Rio would that. use Facebook. Okay, boomer. Uh, but he basically <laughs> wrote that this type of shit, this is nothing compared to what we used to do or like the rivalries in the room. That's really true though. Yeah. Like, I didn't, yeah. didn't like Aaron Lennon like fight Kieran Dyer like on the field? It, it, well, no, that was when they were playing for oh, Newcastle. That was, Newcastle. That, was that was Lee Boyer. Boyer. Yeah. Yeah. Lee Boyer, yeah. Well, even Stephen Gerrard actually and, and Frank Lampard, they had that great, uh, I think it was on Sky Sport or, or BT, but it was, it was they're talking about that golden generation and I think it was Gerrard and Lampard and, and Rio saying like, we just couldn't leave the shit behind from from you know from Saturday Sunday games when we would meet together like there was just too much at stake and it was just too hard for us to actually separate that and I think there's something to that I also I'm, I I do kind of love with Sterling that he's he's kind of become kind of the old head on this team a little yeah, bit yeah, yeah. but he's still like 25 yeah maybe and like and it's yeah he just anyway. seems like you know he's yeah he's kind of he's kind of had like three careers in one already and mm-hmm. now he's kind of the you know the the elder you know the, the guy keeping it together and the guy kind of you know he's got to be the voice of reason for the record i thought sterling played really well on sunday i he, thought yeah it, I, you know it, trent alexander arnold i don't think there's any player that i've seen in the world that hits a cleaner just more precise pure ball than he does and you know, the, the the pass to change fields to get to Andy Robertson to set up the solid goal is just like the perfect encapsulation of just why Liverpool are so devastating. But he can get got. He can get He got. can absolutely get and, got. And Sterling, <laughs> and Sterling kind of, you know, there were moments where, I mean, they were clearly overloading that side, but Sterling when especially late when he was just like, just getting yeah, the ball. Yeah, it was just like one-on-ones, on like yeah. for the latter yeah, half of the game. Just, and yeah. I think if there was, yeah, if, if, they, if, if there was a little bit more you know, if the game was a little more open at that point, I think Sterling would have would have got him. All right, so Liverpool, as we mentioned, eight points clear, nine ahead of City, 12 matches played, of course, lots of season to go. I mean, I guess it's a dumb question at this stage, but I got to ask it, we're a soccer podcast. Is, it, is this wrapped up for them? I No, I mean, it's not because, but I think it's just, you know, it's, it's injuries. You know, you have to kind of look at it. And I think I was playing a little bit of a thought exercise during the City game where what if you had the, you know, the same injury problems for for Liverpool and you actually kind of map it out in your head and they can cover it probably better than City can at this point you know if you lose your left back you put Milner back there if you lose your two center back pairing you still have you know Gomez Lovren you know so it's they do have more options and in the middle in the in the middle of the field I mean forget it they can they can bring in an entire entirely kind of new midfield three if they want to um, I think if any of the you know if Salah Firmino and, and Mane ever are out for an extended period of time then then yeah then you're looking at something but as it stands right now I think City 2017-18 has a Premier League record for 100 points in a season. Liverpool are well on pace to not only surpass last year's total, but that total too to get well over 100 points. That's that's it. I mean, you know, I, I, again, you ha- you're going to have a flurry of games coming around Christmas, and yeah, I mean, can happen, it's just but. that like bigger bigger leads have been lost, and I mean, like it, like if you're thinking just. Yeah, I mean, like bigger leads have been lost. They can they they could pull an Ipswich. They could they could lose. You know, the next for there's no there's not really any telling. It's just that all we have to go on is the fact that they look amazing right now, and it doesn't seem like they can lose. Yeah, from yeah. from December fourth to January fourth, they're playing eleven games in thirty one days in five competitions across three different countries and two continents. Of course, Yuck. that's including the Club World Cup. They actually have back-to-back matches, December 17th versus Aston Villa in the League Cup and December 18th in the Club World Cup. So, uh, you know, obviously they're sending two different teams. I think they are, Jurgen Klopp already has said what team he's playing in each one, but 
still. I mean, that's like fixture madness, festive fixture madness to another level. All right, we'll take a quick break here. When we come back, I'm going to quiz Connor and Micah on some stuff that they have no beforehand knowledge of. So we'll see how they do. We'll be back. Today's episode is brought to you by FanDuel Sportsbook. There are always more ways to win on FanDuel Sportsbook. And it's easy to get your winnings when you want them. With FanDuel Sportsbook's cash-out feature, you can end your bet early and claim your cash with the push of a button. Plus, FanDuel's fast payouts mean you can get your winnings in your pocket in as little as 24 hours. Money lines, spreads, totals, parlays, props, teasers, and more. FanDuel Sportsbook has tons of bet types available every single day. Plus, they always offer unique betting promos to spice up game day, like boosted odds, score bonuses, and parlay insurance. With so much to bet on across 17 different sports, FanDuel Sportsbook is sure to have a wager that's right for you. And best of all, you can place your first bet on FanDuel Sportsbook risk-free. If you lose, you'll get a refund of up to $500 in site credit. Just download the FanDuel Sportsbook app with promo code RINGERFC to bet from anywhere in New Jersey, Pennsylvania, West Virginia, or Indiana. If you lose your first bet within seven days of signing up, FanDuel Sportsbook will give you a refund of up to $500 in site credit. That's promo code RINGERFC, R-I-N-G-E-R-F-C. 21 over and present in New Jersey, Pennsylvania, West Virginia, or Indiana. First online wager only. Site credit expires in 14 days. Cash out not available in all markets. Terms apply. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net or in Indiana, call 1-800-9-WITH-IT. And now, back to Ringer FC. Okay, we're back. Uh, we should talk about other quick Premier League news, or the table at least. We mentioned Liverpool on top. Leicester City in second place. They beat Arsenal on Saturday 2-0. Connor, I know you watched the match. It was bad, Donnie. <laughs> <laughs> wasn't good. Was it bad? Because, because, because you, I mean, like, it seemed like Arsenal was actually coherent for very, like, you know, considerable stretches. Coherently what, though? <laughs> I mean, coherently, like, like that first half, they... they it, it's it's pretty remarkable. As an Arsenal fan, I'll put it this way. It is remarkable that they got out of the first half with it 0-0. Zero, zero, mm. And you felt good about the fact that they hadn't conceded, but you still knew they were going to lose the game. I was entertained. Isn't this just where Arsenal is, though? Yeah. Like, I mean, like, it's definitely, like, Leicester are the better side, like, at this point in time. It's just that, you know, like, you can't divorce it from the his- from the historical. But even when you look at the players, I mean, player for player, you're like, oh, I would take almost every player on this starting 11 and put them in the same position in Arsenal's starting 11. And you you, you, you always do that thought exercise and you're kind of like, yeah, at the end of the day, you know, this and that. But like, no, I actually think, I mean, at some point, like you're talking about uh, Aubameyang or Jamie Vardy and like, still a choice. <laughs> I'll take Vardy. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, <laughs> it's, it's not good. Um, I, you know, there's one was a team that had a clearly defined approach and idea and a plan and players who had confidence and direction and a, the, the freedom to kind of execute as they saw fit. And the other team was Arsenal. <laughs> uh, so Leicester in second, Chelsea in third, six, six in a row. We mentioned Man City in fourth and in fifth place, newly promoted Sheffield United. So this is my first trivia question to you guys. Uh-huh. Sheffield United have started this season with, well, in, they're in fifth place, 17 points after 12 matches played which is the fourth best start for a newly promoted team in the Premier League era. 
who has the best start after 12 matches played of a newly promoted team in the Premier League era? Is, is it Wolves from last year? Nope. That's, they finished, uh, they were 16 points, not 17. Oh. Um, Charleston Athletic? Third. They were at 18 points, and that was in 2000, 2001. Damn. Um, hmm. I, I, Should I start giving you guys hints? Yeah, I could do with a hint or two. Otherwise, oh yeah. This team in this season is known for a particularly infamous halftime team talk by the manager at the Etihad Boxing Day 2008. 2008, Donnie. Phil Brown, it's Hull City. Hull oh, City. Hull? Really? Hull City, wow. after 12 matches played in the 2008 2009 season, were on 20 points. The wow. Tom Hiddleston team? Who was even on that team? Whatever happened to Phil Brown? I don't know. Jimmy even Buller. Uh, oh, Jim, oh, yeah. Jimmy. Wow. This is. That okay. was a deep cut. So, that was, yeah, that was a deep cut. So, Hull City went as high as third place. They were in sixth place until. Did uh, they get relegated that season? Day. No, they finished in 17th. They had like. Okay. <laughs> they basically, their season went to shit during the holiday season. They That'd went on fair. a 10 game winless streak. Naturally. And including that infamous halftime team talk. All right, so let's go back to Chelsea real quick for my second trivia game. And for this trivia game, guys, I think instead of just throwing it up for one of you guys to grab, we'll go like each Connor answer, Micah answer until you, can, until you can't answer anymore. All <laughs> I'll right? be here a while, Isaac. <laughs> All right, so this is regarding the Chelsea uh, 2-0 win over Crystal Palace. Among the Chelsea lineup that day was one of their great teenage talents. That's right back, Reese James. First of all, what did you guys make of, did you watch the game or did you watch the highlights? I did not see this game. I saw Reese James in the Ajax game, though, and came away immensely impressed. I saw the highlights. It kind of has Triori vibes, no? Adama Triori vibes. Mm. Listen, listen. Pump the brakes. Mm. Adama Triori, I I would like you to expound upon that, please. (laughs) Well, I'm not going to say pace and power. I'm just going to say— You were about to. No, I'm not. And you did, actually. Because you still said it. (laughs) It's it's not pace and power. It's just— direct, fast. I mean, I guess that's pace. <laughs> but on the right side and just kind of like, you know, bombing forward. Well, yeah. Fearless. I mean, I mean Mason Mount said his nickname is Beast. Okay. Yeah, uh, I just saw today yeah, in the okay. Daily Mail, actually, Reese James is the newest addition to Rock Nation, where he signed along that. with his sister, who's a striker for Manchester United's women's team, Lauren. I did see that. All right. So the Rock Nation roster now is Reese James, Jerome Boateng, Romelu Lukaku, Kevin De Bruyne, Eric Bai. What happened to Eric Bai? Um, is he just forever injured? And Axel Witzel is the last one. Uh, I'd rather talk about Axel Witzel, who just went to China, got the bag, and came back and just proved that he was just like, oh yeah, by the way, I'm still a world class holding midfielder. <laughs> Going to China and getting the bag is kind of a slick move. For it really a, is like one A elite level footballer. All right, he so also, here, I mean, he went to Russia and got the bag, and then went to China and got the bigger bag, and then came back, and then came back. Yeah. It was just like I can still do this. All right, Tony, what's our next question? Right, so this is a trivia question. Reese James, teenager, one of twenty five teenagers to have appeared in the Premier League this season. So, the trivia is: Who are the other twenty four? You guys can take turns naming them. And if this goes on for an inexorable this amount of time, take, then oh, this we'll will cut take it. forever. Um, okay. Brandon Williams. Correct. Uh, All right. No, Connor, you're up now. 
Uh, is Ryan Sessegnon still a teenager? He is. 19. The left back for Tottenham. Um, how old is Mason Mount? No, Mason Mount's 20. Chris Willick? You mean Joe Willick? Joe Willick, sorry. Joe Willick is not a teenager anymore, I'm sorry. Hmm. Oh, he is. I'm sorry, he is a teenager. G- Gabriel Martinelli? I'll just name all of the Arsenal ones. Correct. Oh, uh, Tahith Chong, Mason Greenwood. <laughs> Mason Greenwood, correct. Tahith Chong, correct. You guys are just naming players off your teams. Exactly. We're, Callum we're... Hudson-Odoi. Correct. Uh, I mean, as we go down the list, it's going to get... Uh, it's going to get much more difficult. It's going to get bleak. Um, Does it make guys feel old to know that all of these guys were born in the year 2000 or after? I think I've made peace with that. I think once you started seeing that come through, you, you, you realize that was it. Because I'm old enough to remember when you see, started seeing guys who were like 95. You know, it's just, it just <laughs> comes with the territory, Donnie. Uh, Micah, did you say somebody? Uh, I said Oliver Skip, but I think that that's correct. He is he? Yeah. Oh wow. Yes. Phil, Phil Foden. Correct. You're missing an Arsenal one, Connor. Um, missing an Arsenal one because Ganduzi. Nope. I think he just turned twenty. He went to. He was in Germany last year. Yeah. Um. Uh. Row. Um. No. No. The other one. Saka. Saka's one, but that's not who I was talking about. I think Arsenal have the youngest uh, starting lineup ever starting lineup for the season. It's Reese Nelson. That was ah, Reese Nelson. That's what I was about to say. <laughs> All right. I'll just read the rest. Yeah. Please do that. Billy Gilmore, Chelsea. James Garner from Man United. Uh, I've never even seen that name before. Eric Garcia from Man City. That's the um, center back. Mm-hmm. Angel Gomez from Man United. Michael Obemafemi for Southampton. Pedro Neto for Wolves. Uh, Reese James, we mentioned. Domingos Quina for Watford, Dwight McNeil, who's doing really well for Burnley, Max Aarons, Norwich, Aaron Connolly, Brighton, Morgan Gibbs, White Wolves, Matthew Longstaff, who scored a world earlier this season for Newcastle, and the last teenager is Moyes Ken from Everton. All right, we are now in an international break. Oh, MLS Cup. Who watched the MLS Cup? I boycotted it. The final. Uh, LA LAFC Ultra had to boycott it, eh? No, I just I, I did not watch it, but congratulations to Seattle. That's all I'll say. Seattle won three one over Toronto. I don't know. Do you guys think three p.m. on a Sunday, NFL Sunday, is like the best time? I mean, I guess we always talk about MLS scheduling and when the season should be and this and that, but it seems like it's not suboptimal to have it opposite NFL football. It's never it, going against NFL football on a Sunday is never a good a good thing. But. Yeah. I think they should have done it on, I guess, I guess if you do it on Monday night, it's against Monday night football. But Yeah, you really can't go up against yeah. a, a, a major American sports league that basically owns three days of the week. Yeah, midweek prime time, but then you have the same problem on Saturdays with college football. So at some point, just pick the best time for your fans and hope for the best. Yeah, according to Nielsen Ratings, the final averaged 1.27 million viewers across ABC, Univision, and TUDN. Combined, and it's down from an average of 1.56 million for Atlanta United Portland last year. So I think ratings overall for MLS declined a little bit. So, of course, what's the answer to that? They're expanding. Uh, we should talk about the UEFA Champions League rights really quickly because since our last episode, in a surprise, CBS and Univision have picked up the rights from the fall of 2021 to the spring of 2024. That's according to multiple sources. Of course, it's currently on Turner and Bleacher Report. You guys have any reaction to that? Um, no, not particularly. Uh, <laughs> although I, you know, 
I'm sure that it will be great, um, <laughs> at least better than halftime dispatches from the Greyhound. <laughs> um, international break coming up on Friday. USMNT will be seeking revenge against Canada. That's taking place in Kevin Clark's hometown of Orlando, Con- CONCACAF Nations League. No Pulisic, but Serginho Dest, who we talked about in the last episode, is looking to make his full senior debut. Canada, of course, beat USA 2-0 in Toronto last month. Anything on this, Connor? Do you care about the CONCACAF Nations League? I mean, I care about this game because clearly it's, uh, you know, they lost the last one 2-0. And we had said at the time that how how they responded, how Berhalter responded to this one was going to be an indication of whether or not he could fix it, whether or not he could kind of, he could have the humility and also just kind of the the experience to, to get it right the second time. And, you know, we'll see. Do you think this is a phantom injury for Pulisic? I think you kind of know you've made it when you, like, phantom pull out of an international. Yeah, I mean, load management is kind of the very vogue term in the NBA these days. And I I, I don't, if if that's what it is, and if it's a it's a question of, you know, the travel and, and just the amount of games that he's playing, it's, it's who, who are we to say? Yeah. And also, speaking of long distances on Friday, another international friendly, it's Brazil versus Argentina. Live from Saudi Arabia. (laughs) That's got to be a really good trip for all these players on club teams to go to Saudi Arabia and have to come back. Uh, Okay, so our next episode, we'll be talking about match day 13. Uh, Big matches that weekend include Manchester City versus Chelsea, Crystal Palace versus Liverpool, and the aforementioned fifth place Sheffield United versus the now seventh place Manchester United. Micah, how do you feel about that? Um, Headed to Bremel Lane, eh? <laughs> well, obviously not optimistic, but yeah, I don't know. Like, I, it's just, it's going to be difficult just because Chris Wilder's side is so unlike promoted teams in that they combine, like, the typical self-preservation of a promoted side, but they also get in your ass <laughs> as as a, as evidenced by the Tottenham game. Yeah. If you haven't seen Sheffield United and the overlapping center backs, basically they play a 3-5-2 and they'll have their their kind of on the flank center backs make these these long diagonal runs to outflank the wing back out front and send ball. It's it's really if you watch it, it's kind of a sight to it's sight to behold. Yeah, they really should have beat Spurs. And in fact that was speaking of VAR, a terrible VAR decision to overrule that first equalizer they eventually equalized uh and and the game finished 1-1 but just generally speaking too when you look at the table you have we talked spent a lot of time talking about liverpool manchester city sheffield united in fifth place with 17 points and everton in 15th place with 14 points and i think we're used to having that kind of nebulous zone between 16 to 10 where teams are good enough too good to get relegated and not good enough to really do much else and I don't think we've quite yet seen how those tiers are going to start to shape up yet. So I think some of these matches we're gonna we're gonna figure that out because looking at the table, the table looks uh, it's very strange right now. Yeah, it's funny because yeah. we have been talking so much in recent years about how the Big Four has expanded to a Big Six, but you look at the table and it's a Big Four again, except it's only Leicester in there instead of United or Arsenal or Tottenham uh, because the, the top four now have created some distance. It's eight points in between yeah. fourth and fifth. So do you guys feel like the top four is how it's going to look? I do, yes. Yeah. At the end of the season? Yes. Okay, we're to 538 then. All right. Connor and Micah, thank you as always. 
Thank you, sir. Thank you. And we'll see you guys in two weeks. Peace.